In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. And I am excited to have my buddy Jeter Rogers on the podcast today. So Jeter and I have been in the same ward for, I don't know what, Jeter, seven years or something. I think we're coming up on 10. Are you? We moved in about 2010, 2011 when I was in sixth grade. So you were in sixth grade. Okay. We sixth grade. And then we moved in in 2017. So we've known the Rogers family for a long time. And Jeter's dad is currently the bishop in our ward and I'm the young women's president. So I get to work really closely with him. And his older sister, Abby, is currently serving a mission in the Las Vegas, Nevada mission. And she is the sweetest. She's like a daughter to me. And I love her. I love his whole family. So earlier last year, in about November, I said, Jeter, do you want to come on tour with us for our Laughing All the Way tour? We need like a Buddy the Elf character. And Jeter was like, absolutely. (laughs) When you texted me that I was sitting in calculus and I was like, there are so many things I'd rather be doing right now, but that sounds wonderful. I would love to come on tour with you guys. So yeah, I I appreciated that. That was fun. It was so fun. And it was totally random because they're like, we need someone that has a lot of charisma that can kind of work a crowd that is willing to travel that doesn't probably have kids. And I'm like, I've got someone, he's a newlywed He's darling. He's fun. I love his family and I can talk to his dad and make him come. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Well, and, and what the listeners don't know is that in high school, I was a, I was a cheerleader. Jeter was a cheerleader. It, Jeter was also on the football team and he also did drama. You did everything in high school. All the I things. was very busy. <laughs> you were really busy. So he's like a jack of all trades. And so this was just one. I'm like, let's pull out your drama cheer side and combine them. And it was so fun. It was so fun. So I was like, okay, I want to talk to Jeter more. And Jeter, you also served your mission in Cape Town, South Africa. And that's what I would love to talk to you about today. I know there's a lot of listeners who have kids that are getting ready to either put in their papers or maybe have submitted them. They're getting ready to receive their call. They're going to graduate this year and go out on their missions this summer or fall. It's an exciting time. It's a scary time. And so I just wanted to pick your brain. And obviously... I have four boys and Boston's 15. He will submit his papers in three years. Isn't that weird? That's crazy. And it goes so fast. That's it the goes thing. so fast. So I'm always looking for advice and ideas for mamas of missionaries. And so first of all, let's go kind of back to your high school days. So tell me what were you like in high school? You did a little bit of everything. Were you always just really super confident? Like, I'm just going to try out for everything. I'm going to do it all. Why not? How does someone be a football player and a cheerleader at the same time? You know, that's a really interesting question because I would not say that I was always super confident. And in fact, my senior year of high school, when it came to football, I got injured right before the season started. I don't think I I, knew that. I'd always had very, my ankles are difficult and I'm twisting them and, and rolling them all the time. And I'd gotten something close to a fracture. And one of my ankles pretty oh, that's bad. Pretty quick right before the season started. And so going into the orange and gray scrimmage before the first game, I was still out. Um, and so they played one of the juniors who was who was under me. And then going into the rest of the season, he started over me. Even though throughout all of the offseason and through all the training and stuff, I was a starting guy. When it came down to the actual season and playing, it was him. Oh and he was really good and and, you know, it, it was it was tough to be in my position where I'd worked so hard for that. Yes. And then it didn't come to fruition. Yeah. And, and that really kind of shattered my confidence. I won't lie. And I remember halfway through the season, one of the other one of my friends, one of the other linebackers came to me and he, he was in a similar position where he just wasn't starting. He was a senior. He's like, why am I doing this? And he said, hey, I'm going to quit. Are you with me or are you not? And I thought about it for, for, I mean, probably about a week. I was like, okay, you know, if I'm, if, if I don't want to do this, if I don't want to go through with this, now's the time to do it. Cause I can do it with this friend of mine. Yeah. And, you know, I finally came up with the idea that I'm, I'm not a quitter. If I'm going to start something, I'm going to see it through to the end. 
And so I told him, Hey man, I'm sorry, but you know, this is, this is who I am. I'm not a quitter. And I, I got to see this through. And so then I had a decision. I was like, okay, if I'm going to see this through, then I got to make it not miserable. Yeah. And so I kind of took up that position where I'm like, okay, here's this guy, this friend of mine who's, who's younger than me, who's starting over me. Let me not have animosity towards him. Let me help him. He was very athletic. He didn't know the plays as well. So I was kind of like his assistant coach where I would be like on the sideline, like helping him out and training him and coaching him to see different things that I was seeing. And then he would go out and do it. And so I kind of took up almost like a mentor position over the younger athletes. And that made the season worth it for me. Even though I didn't play as much as I wanted to, that, that made it worth it. And I was so glad that I had not quit. I have to stop you right there because I hope you realize how, or I want you to know maybe how rare that is for, for a high school kid to have the self-awareness to know, okay, this isn't an ideal situation, but instead of getting mad and quitting, which you totally would have been justified doing, you were like, okay, not only am I just going to stay on the team, but how can I make it better? And then you're like, okay, I'm going to coach someone else and I'm going to help him be the best he can be because if he's good and our team is good, then we're all in this together. (laughs) Then we'll all benefit from the success and whether that's me playing or him playing we're still all benefiting as a whole and that that's really impressive Jeter that I didn't know that and that you would do that it really is instead of just being bitter or being mad at the coach which I'm sure there were days that that you there were days and, and that's, there were days and it's so funny to me because this story I hear over and over of student athletes that have worked since I mean really Briggs age, my Briggs, who's in fifth grade, they start forming these little teams and these leagues and these bantams and these whatever traveling teams. And they kind of pick who they want for their high school teams. And you work for years and you're finally a senior. And then they're like, okay, never mind. We're going to go with the younger kids. That is so interesting to me. And as a mom of all boys, I'm like, I don't know. It's, I've, I, it happened with my nephews that ha- were trained for years for baseball and then we're cut senior year it's like this is what this is now when scouts come this is now when like you're looking at colleges to try and get scholarships why in the world would you take them to this point just to drop them and so it breaks my heart for people like you and 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 it can really be something you can hold on to and instead that seemed like that was a big life shift for you in okay I can choose to make this situation better or worse. And that probably set you up for, I don't know. It seems like that was, that would be a huge mind shift for like the rest of your life, that decision. Absolutely. And, and we will probably get into this in a few minutes, but there were several times during my mission where I was like, mom, this is hard on the phone with, on P days, mom, this is so hard. And she's like, okay, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I, have already decided that I'm not a quitter. So that that's out, that's out of the picture. I'm not going home. I'm going to stick it out and it's going to suck sometimes and it's going to be great sometimes. But there were there were two or three distinct times on my mission where I said, "Man, it'd be so much easier to go home." But I had decided that I'm not a quitter and and that helped me to stick it out where if I had quit the football team, I don't know if I would have finished my 2 years on mission. Yes, that's interesting because you you made a decision and a choice to stick with something that was really hard and and not fair too. You know, the, it it was it was like okay, this is something that I wish I I wish this situation was different, but I'm going to stick it out. How do you? Where did that I'm not a quitter mindset come from? Has was that instilled in you from your parents, from your youth, or was it literally like in the moment you're like, okay, I have a choice to make. Like, what kind of person am I? That's a good question. And I never really thought about it that deeply, honestly. But, but I know that it does come from my dad. My dad is very much a stick with it. And in small, subtle ways throughout my childhood, he would, he would instill that in me that if I start something, I should see it through. But I would say that, that 
time on the football team is when it really clicked. And that's where I decided for myself, whether I had considered in my mind that this is coming from my dad or whether it's just my own decision, I don't really think I thought it through that deeply. I was just like, okay, here's my choice. I can quit. I cannot quit. What's the pros? What's the cons? Okay, I'm not a quitter. Let's see this through. And something has to change so I'm not miserable, but, but I'm not going to make the decision to quit. I love that. And that you had been taught this principle throughout your life. And then in, an, in a moment, now you had to put it into practice. And it's so cool that you never really know, like, the values you're taught as a child and the values and principles I'm teaching my children. You know, you, oh, at some point, you're going to be faced with this decision. At some point, you never know when that's going to be. And for you, it was hurting your ankle in football. That's when that practice or that principle of we don't quit, we stick things through what choices do you're going to make? And you're like, hey, then I'm going to stick with it. And and subconsciously even just made that choice because of those teachings that your dad instilled in you all those years. That's amazing. So where did, after you finished football season, when did cheer come in? Or was that before or after that? So it was a little bit before. I had had a friend who was a grade older than me. And his senior year, he was the only cheerleader on the Skyers cheer team. And he'd grown up doing competitive cheer and he was the mascot and he was just a only very male cheerleader. The only one. Yeah. <laughs> and the first in Skyers history, we'd only been around for three years at that point. Wow. And he had so much fun and they loved him and, and used him a ton. And so the coach was like, we want more guys. And my friend comes up to me and he says, hey, you should do this. And I was like, man, I remember being three years old, four or five, six, going to these football games with my dad and seeing those guys lifting those girls. And thinking that is sweet, but I'm doing football. I, I can't do cheer and football. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, we're just having this clinic. Like, why don't you just come try it out just for fun, learn how to stunt and we'll go from there. And I was like, okay. So I went to this clinic and it was, it was so fun. And I felt like I was, I had a natural ability for it along with the tumbling that I taught myself previously. That they're like, yeah, you know, we'd, we'd be willing to work with you. So when football season ended, I went full into cheer and was able to do um, basketball season and competition season. And we were able to go to Anaheim for nationals in February. And we won a national championship, national title. Which is huge, by the which way. Which is huge. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. That is so fun. And, and you really, so I cheered. I cheered in junior high and in high school, and we had boy cheerleaders just my sophomore year. And I, it makes a big difference having a boy stunt you, like just the power. And, but I will say I was dropped a couple times. And so if you're like, oh, I have a natural affinity, did you ever drop a girl or were you pretty careful with your so there, girl? There's <laughs> two questions I get asked all the time. One is, Okay, how did you do football and cheer, yes. which you've already gotten to? And people are like, yep. so did you like, you know, when they went to halftime, everybody went to the locker room and you were out there on the field. I was like, no, I play football. Like I'm in the locker room with my team. Yeah. I'm not on the field doing cheer. The second question is, do I drop people? And, you know, no stunt hits perfect every single time. Yeah. So people are going to fall from the air. I never drop somebody to the ground. Good for you. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let that happen. So I, you know, we were taught, there were seven of us that year, there were seven guys. Oh, wow. It was so much fun. And we were taught, you do whatever you can. You sacrifice your you body break first. your nose saving yes. girls. <laughs> and there were times where I did full layouts to like put my body on the ground and like wrap up a girl before, before they fell and hit the mat. And oh, it got pretty intense time, but we, you know, we made that a commitment that we weren't going to let any girl hit the mat. Good for you. And honestly, cheer is it. It is such a competitive, athletically challenging sport. It's awesome. And so I think it's so cool that you were able to do football and then move your body. And I mean, the stretching, the tumbling, the stunts, all of that is just being able to use your body in a completely different way and help those girls feel a little bit safer, more comfortable. I just think that's so cool. I mean, you hear about football players like, doing ballet to stretch and whatever and yoga but cheer honestly like you had to do the same things i'm sure like stretching and stunting and toe to all the things that you're like this is totally different but equally as challenging and difficult as playing one of those sports well that's question number three i get all the time is okay which was harder 
<laughs> and it's it's a hard question to answer because during football you go really hard for about 10 15 seconds in a play yes and then you regroup and you do it again and then you go off to the sideline yeah and so that that takes place over about two and a half hours of a game but you you have time in between yeah whereas cheer it's only about a minute and a half but you go full-blown that entire oh, minute and a half wow. and you're chucking people in the air and you're throwing backflips just remembering breathe because exactly yeah your mind's going crazy you have no idea what's going on around you you're just so focused yes. you have to know what's going on around you in your mind because you don't want to hit somebody right and it's it's so intense for that minute and a half i never experienced anything like it until we did a full out for the first time and i was gassed i thought i was like oh i'll be fine you know i, I do football right so it's right easy. i was gassed so yeah yeah, cheer, cheer. I, again, they're they're hard in different ways. It's different, but they're. I mean, they're both very strenuous and and take a lot of athleticism. That is so fun. So after after senior year, you put in your mission papers. Was it always just a given? Like, yes, I'm going to serve. That's the next step. No matter where my football career or cheer career takes me. Like, did you ever think? Well, maybe I'll go to school for a year and and pursue this and then or was it always like no I'm gonna go right after I graduate how did you make that decision so growing up in especially high school I had decided like okay I'm going to serve a mission that's that's a for sure and I felt like for me if I went to school first or try to do something else first I'd get distracted and try to put it off longer and so I was like I need to just get it done and do that and go so that I don't open myself up to distraction or temptation to not go. So that was my decision up until March when we had COVID. Oh, and that was yep. my graduating year. That was COVID-19, class of 2020. And, oh my gosh. And I, I, I was supposed to put in my papers, like submit them, put them finalized, done. The weekend that we didn't go to church because COVID had shut it down. Like that, I had that meeting with the bishop to put my papers and submit them uh, that weekend. No way. And, and all of a sudden I had a decision where I was like, okay, nobody knows what's happening. All these missionaries are coming home and they're saying you can get reassigned or you can wait or all these yeah. things. So if I get called foreign, I might not ever make it. Yeah. Do I, do I now choose to continue to serve when I had originally planned or do I go to school online Yeah. or try to work or, or what, what do I do? And there was a talk by Elder Holland in conference in April, just a few weeks later. And I want to say the talk called a perfect brightness of hope, but he talked about having hope through dark times mm. and, and then how hope ties into faith and how, you know, it's not, just on our circumstances, but it's also on our attitude and how we can exercise our hope and, and get through tough times. And that's what I needed to hear at that time. Oh, yeah, because if there was ever um, a dark time, that was it. Yeah. And so I'm writing about this experience, this talk in my journal. And I had like a Book of Mormon journal that had scriptures on the bottom. And I'm writing on this page. And I look at the bottom and there is a scripture and it's Ether 1224. And I wish I could quote it from memory, but it essentially says that if you have a perfect brightness of hope, then you can trust God through anything. And he will make an anchor to your soul. He will be your anchor when everything else is going crazy. You can anchor your soul to him and get through anything. And I, so I saw that. I went and read that scripture and I just had this very clear spiritual impression that I just needed to go and I just needed to do it and have that hope that everything would be okay and anchor my soul to God and nothing else and keep moving forward. So I submitted my papers and I got my call, I believe on June 22nd, 2022. Oh my goodness. Not 2022. Sorry. No, that's when I came home. June 22nd, 2020. And I'd, I'd been called to South Africa, Cape Town mission. English speaking, leaving October 14th. And that was crazy. I'd always thought I was going to South America. Everybody goes South America. Everybody speaks Spanish or yeah. Portuguese in Brazil. 
was like, okay, that's probably going to be me too. Where did your dad and go? He went to Cambodia. So mm-hmm. he was the exception. Wow. But I opened it up in South Africa. It turns out that's the farthest mission away from Salt Lake City that you can possibly get. And so I prepared to go to South Africa. And then about a week before I started the MTC, I get a call from one of the state presidency members. And he said, all right, you're going to be reassigned to Fort Lauderdale, Florida for however long. Yeah, indefinitely. Yeah. So you're ready to go to Florida. And I was like, okay, I figure if there's anywhere in this world, in this, in this country, that's as close to South Africa, cultural wise, climate wise, anything, it's going to be Miami, Florida. Yeah. And so point where you did that little voice come into your head again, like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not where I was assigned. Did you ever have a second guess of like, well, I don't want to do that. That's that. Or were you like, no, I'm serving a mission wherever I'm assigned or reassigned. I will go even if it's back up to Boise, Idaho or down. to You know what I mean? Like, no, nope, yeah. I'll do it. When I when I made the decision to serve, I said, OK, whatever it looks like. And I don't know what it looks like. I've, I've been called to serve, so I will serve how I need to serve. And, I, and it came back to Elder Bednar's talk in general conference where he talks about you're, you're assigned to serve as a mission. You're called to serve as a missionary and the location is secondary. Yes, right. And, and I took that to mean also like the circumstances are secondary, whether it's COVID, whether you're teaching people online or on the phone or in person or in Florida or in South Africa, as long as I was serving to the best of my ability as a missionary, I would be satisfied. And I'd be I happy. love that. And so, and so it was very, there's a lot of variables and there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Uh, even I remember giving my farewell talk and I hadn't been gone. I, I think I'd just gotten my reassignment and I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to Florida now. And I don't know what anything is going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to see South Africa, but here we go. You know, yeah. I have faith and I'm going to serve a mission and that's the most important thing. Yeah. But I remember... I think it was the night before I started the home MTC. I received a father's blessing from my dad. And I'm probably going to get emotional, so I apologize. But um, in that blessing, about halfway through, he paused. And he blessed me that I would see the great land of South Africa during my mission. And... And then he finished the rest of the blessing and he said, amen. And we looked at each other and he looked at me and he said, I don't know how that's going to happen. Cause we were, everything was so unknown. We had no yeah. idea when COVID was going to end. We were still yeah. in the middle of lockdowns. I don't think we'd gone back to, we barely started going back to church. Yeah. And like groups of a hundred. Yep. With masks. And he said, yeah, with masks and space and everything. Yeah. And he said, I, he said that he would, he, he blessed me that I would see South Africa and I said, okay, I, I have faith, you know, I have faith in that priesthood blessing and I trust that I will. So I served three transfers, which is approximately four, four and a half months in Fort, in Florida, which was amazing. Loved it there. And left in March of 2021 to go to South Africa. I was one of the first groups of Americans to return to the country. I'd gotten my visa approved pretty quickly. And, and miraculously, I ended up in South Africa before I'd hit six months on my mission. Wow. That really is a miracle. Yeah. And what was the difference? Was it a huge culture shock from Florida to South Africa? So, I mean, even from a mission standpoint, my mission in Florida was overcrowded because of all the reassignments. So I went from a mission of 250. Oh, Wow. To a mission of 30. Oh, that small. Yeah. Wow. Because everybody had left. Yes. Right. And so when I left South Africa, there was about 150 of us. But when I got there, there was 30. And the area that me and my companion were serving in was a zone by the end of my mission. Wow. So it, it grew a ton. But we were in this, we were in this area called Kornbufle just north of Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape. And there was me and this elder, his name's Elder Rex. And me and Elder Rex, he, we were both Americans. He had served his reassignment in Montana. 
and he was about a transfer to older than me. So combined, we had maybe a year on mission. Yeah. And we were sent out to the boonies out in the, in what they call the townships, um, where they speak deep, deep Tulsa and where they run around and call you a Malungu because the kids, they've never seen like a white person walk through the township. That's not a typical occurrence for them. Yes. That's not so they common. chase you and they call you Malungu, Malungu. And we were with two zone leaders who were both South African and they were, we would drive because they didn't have their licenses and they would get us accustomed to the culture. And those first three weeks were an absolute blur. Oh, um, I bet. Like where I was it at the time, but I look back <laughs> and it's just, it's just a mess of memories yes. in my head, but it was a great area and it was fun. It was so fun to be in just things like in the township, people are out walking around the streets all day and they're so happy to stop and talk to you. And so street contacting is a real thing that you can do because you walk, walk down the street of the neighborhood of the township and people are just walking around and talking to everybody. doesn't yeah. matter if they know them or if they're friends or siblings or whatnot. And here you walk down a neighborhood street and it's like nobody lives there. Right. Because nobody's outside. Right. And so just the people there are so friendly and so nice and that was one of the things I loved from the get-go was just how amazing those people were. And it made the culture shock and the, the adjustment and the jet lag yeah. it made all of that a lot easier to get through because of that love I felt from the people immediately. What did you do, Jeter, to stay mentally tough on your mission? Because you're already, missionaries are already immersed in the scriptures, spending a lot of time on their knees praying doing the things that we here back home do to strengthen ourselves and stay strong and, and feel like we have the Holy Ghost in our lives able to help guide us. But on your mission, you're around all the time, but you are away from family and it's hard work. Like you're out serving people, teaching people, learning a language sometimes, just being somewhere that is completely out of your comfort zone. What did you do when those times came where you're like, okay, I'm done. I, I just want to, I want to break. I want to go home. I want to, and it, I think it's so great that missionaries are able to call home and speak to their families. Was that, did that make it easier or harder knowing that you had a phone call home to look forward to? I would say it made it easier because especially when I was struggling. I yeah. knew that if there was anybody who would understand it, it's my mom. And so I get through the week and then be able to call home and just be like, hey, like, and I'd, I'd, I'd also try to like kind of filter it a little bit because I didn't want her to worry too much. Yeah. But at the same that time, if I was really important. feeling, if I was, you know, really having a bad time, she could tell anyways. For sure. You can't hide so, anything. I, I tell my boys that I'm like, you can't hide anything from me. I yeah. can see moms can just, we can, we just know all the time. You don't, exactly. even the way you say, I'm fine. You know, it's like, yep. yeah, you sound like it. So what so, did you, what helped you? So uh, those phone calls helped. And then the biggest thing for me was just leaning into what you've already said and the prayers and the scripture study. If you serve in a mission with a temple, that is amazing. My mission didn't have a temple and I missed the temple oh. so, so much. And while I was there, actually, the, in those first three weeks, they announced the temple in Cape Town. Huh? Oh, and that's amazing. They planned for it, and, and they're working on it. But I didn't go to the temple my entire time in South Africa, and I missed that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that would help. But what I did is I would just, I have these very long prayers with God when I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody else. And then my mission president in Florida, he encouraged us all to read 30 minutes in the Book of Mormon every day. So anyways, you have an hour of personal study and I would set aside 30 minutes of that for just the Book of Mormon. For just the Book of Mormon. And I found that that helps me so much. And sometimes I would think, oh, but I need to study for this person and for this person and, and plan all these lessons. And I found that when I was studying in the Book of Mormon, I would receive insights that would help me with the people we were teaching. I would find stories that would help me with the people who are teaching. Often yeah. the story I read that day just in my chronological reading would be perfect for somebody that we were teaching that day. And then my 
spirituality and my mental health is better because of that. And then that next half, half an hour, I could take, oh, here, let's study this talk for this yeah. person. Or let's go to the Bible for a second. Or let me recently preach my gospel to figure out how I can teach this person better. But those two things really, really did help me a ton. And then the other thing that I loved was when I was, my, my favorite area, my whole mission was an area called Fishhook. And nobody wanted to go to Fishhook. Like I'd heard about it before I served there. And all I'd heard about it was that nobody wanted to go there. And when I got there, it was beautiful. The scenery was incredible. It's the only place I know where you can look out across the ocean and see the sun rising over the mountains because oh, there's wow. a bay. And it's, it was incredible every morning. But it was uh, like a retirement community. Oh. Lots of old English white folk. And whereas in most of the other areas, you're serving in a township where people are very friendly and very open. Yes. And you're teaching and just baptizing like crazy. This area, you're lucky if you have one or two teaching appointments a day. Oh, interesting. A little so more nobody wanted to go there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. They had a baptism in 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so when we got there, I was training a new missionary. And we looked at our area book and we said, what are we going to do? There's nobody being taught. There's like nobody even listed as interested and this ward is extremely small it probably should be a branch what are we going to do and i had to change my mindset a little bit again I, i've done this several times in my life where i said okay up until this point success i've measured my success on how many people i'm teaching and how they're progressing yeah but right now i need to change my strategies i need to change my approach i need to do things different one, so I can actually find people to teach and baptize. Yes. And two, so that I don't feel like a failure. And I told my, my companion, I said, all right, our success is going to be if we talk to somebody and they leave that conversation feeling better about missionaries. Because a lot of them, they had these old stigmas that were a cult or that were polygamy. Right, right. And so they were kind of weary of us. right. And so if I, I said, if we can talk to somebody and they leave with a better outlook and appreciation for what we do and who we are, that'll be success. Love it. And so we decided in that to do a lot of service. And we were, we were looking for service opportunities, both like helping some lady from the grocery store push her cart to her car, as well as like organized service opportunities. And we found this man, his name is Pastor Shaddy. And he might've been one of the most influential people on me during my mission. Wow. He was just, I don't know. He's probably about in his fifties and he was this pastor who had had a church and he said, that's not cutting it for me. I'm not doing enough good. He closed down his church and in his place, he opened up a soup kitchen. Oh. And so we would go, especially on Saturdays, about mid early, early to mid afternoon. We would go to a soup kitchen and we would spend time with him and help him cook. He was Indian, so he had very good briyanis and curries and he was a very, very good cook. And he'd share food with us as well. So we got a free meal out of it, which is always, yes. always appreciated. And we'd help him cook this meal and we'd package it up. And then we'd go down the street a little ways to a park. And all these homeless people from the area would come and sit down and listen to Pastor Shadi preach from the Bible and then they'd get a meal and it was so cool to see what he was doing and he said you know I'm bringing people to Jesus who wouldn't who wouldn't get there otherwise yeah yep because he said you know you need to fill people's needs and these people are hungry and they're not yes. going to listen to the word if their stomach's not full right but if you fill their stomach and then you fill their heart then they're going to feel closer to Jesus and we Yep. You know, nobody from the homeless group joined the church. But I don't think that was what needed to happen there. No. And occasionally he would say, all right, elders, who, wh which one of you is preaching today? And he would give time to us and we would, we would share from the Bible. We sometimes share from the Book of Mormon. And was he they, open to that? Was he open to you sharing passages from oh, the Book absolutely. of Mormon? Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. And he was so open-minded and tolerant. That's so uh, great. 
of different perspectives and different groups and different beliefs. And the things that he did with this group of people to serve them and to help them and to uplift them, being a part of that really helped. Just doing that service helped me at my mental health entirely. And so we could do that on Saturday, go to church on Sunday, call my mom on Monday. And then the rest of the week, I was on cloud nine and I was just ready to go and serve and talk yes. to people and teach because because I was just on the spiritual high. Yeah. And there was many events that, that led to this. Also, we, we did a lot of social media work, which up until this point in time in my mission, I'd said social media work is bogus. Like, why would I do it on Facebook when I could go out and talk to people in person? Yeah. And then I couldn't talk to people in person because I didn't want to listen. Yeah. And I told my companion, all right, we're going to do social media work. And we were finding all these people out in different areas. And I said, all right, elder, if we send these referrals, I promise you, promise you that God will send us a referral in return. And we sent referrals like crazy for a month. There's not an area in our mission that didn't get a referral from us. And it was, it was a little bit discouraging because we weren't seeing the benefits from that. There's other areas baptizing these people and, you know, we, we couldn't be there. We, we couldn't share in that success, even though we found them. And that was kind of hard, but about a month later, we got this referral for a girl named Risha. And Risha came in in the first meeting. She said, okay, so I've heard about baptism. Like, how do I get baptized? How does that happen? And me and this elder look at each other. And we're like, no way. And like, she's already ready. She's, like already, she's already ready. ready. And she, her enthusiasm for the gospel was something I'd never seen before my whole life. That's amazing. You're like, we can help with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then we brought in a member who was that most recent baptism 10 years ago. And she was in on teaching. Wow. And Risha ended up being that first baptism in that ward in 10 years. No way. Because of, because of our enthusiasm for the work, because of our faith in God's miracles and because of our joy and in, in, in serving and doing just just helping and being there for other people and so that's why i say it was my favorite area it was the hardest area by far but the rewards from that service and and the lessons i learned and and baptizing risha because we'd worked so hard for that i i'll i'll never forget the experiences i had in fishhook oh those are the sweetest experiences jeter and it makes me think of the scripture that's like if you should labor all your days and bring, save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy in the kingdom of heaven. And it's, it, I, it goes back to this mindset you've had throughout your life of how can I make this hard situation better? What can I do to give everything I have to this situation and have a positive attitude and have faith that things are going to work out. And it just goes to show that you've had this pattern throughout your life of choosing to see the good in hard things. And everyone's like, I don't want to do fish hook. And you're like, I'm excited for it. Like, what can we do? Okay. We're not having success in the street. What can we do now? Just having that growth mindset and faith in heavenly father, like he's going to work things out. And I, I love that you told your companion, like, okay, we are going to see a miracle. We're going to. From sending our referrals, someone is going to send one back to us. And that was just pure faith that Heavenly Father would take care of you. And then hearing about, okay, and here it is. Here's a baptism. And through that one baptism, when how old was she? She was 22. So now if she gets married, and now that the temple is going to be built, and she's going to have a family that is possibly married in the temple and then she's going to teach her kids. Imagine now her example and influence in the community and what she's going to do with that. I mean, 100%. it's amazing. And I, I just saw one of my friends went to, he went to Easter Island on his mission and he, there's one baptism and he posted a picture of him with this one man and he was holding a baby. And so he got baptized and his wife was there and they had this little baby. And he zoomed in on the baby and he just went back to Easter Island. So it's been 18 years. And this baby is now just went through the temple and is serving a mission. And he got called to Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm like, his name's Bridger. And I'm like, Bridger, look at this one baptism. Now this baby 
is serving a mission and he's now going to bless so many lives. So that's what's so incredible. My dad was also a convert to the church. He joined in Canada with his family and it was this missionary was came out and and he converted one person and he said, I must not have been a very good missionary because I only had one baptism through my two years. And that one person told my grandparents about the church and they started investigating and then they joined with my dad from this one baptism from this one missionary and his companion. So it's and then now look at all of us. And now here we all are and my boys and my family. So it's just amazing that that you can't judge your success on on numbers. And I know that's not an, as an emphasis anymore, but it it just really just goes to show, no, it's about who are you blessing? And sometimes it's just about planting seeds and creating a love and an awareness for the church and for Jesus Christ. He loves you. He's there for you. And then whether that leads to someone investigating the church or just feeling comfortable around members of the church, feeling safe to talk about things, feeling like there's a home with members of the church. Even just that is amazing. And that's what you did. And it's called what? Fish hook? Fish hook. Yeah. That is truly remarkable. I thank you so much for sharing those stories. I want to just end with what's Jeter up to now? You went on tour with us, but obviously that's not only you're not just doing Buddy the Elf stuff. You're in school. Yeah, that was a few weekends. And you're married. You're newlywed. And tell us what you're up to and how you are keeping this. I'm all in. I'm not a quitter. I'm staying strong to the gospel mentality now as a newlywed. Well, you know, it's it's, it's interesting because when I got home, there came a time where you start to realize you don't have any hobbies and you don't know anybody. And like, <laughs> it's so different. Um, and I, I remember get like, you get to the end of your mission, like, I'm so excited to go home and date. Like, I haven't done that in two years and I'm excited to like go and do that. And then I got home and I was like, I don't know anybody. Yeah. Like all the girls I knew in high school are either married or in a serious relationship or. <laughs> or on missions of their own. Or on missions or way yeah. at school or like, yeah. There's so, no one. Yeah. There's no one. Right. And so, so I took a second to get back into that. And, you know, I, I was like, oh, I played football. Like that was my biggest thing I loved to do in high school. But what do I do now? So I've got, I've got some friends who do a UVU intramural league. So that's been fun. But, but luckily my friend from way back when I lived in Taylorsville, like second grade, he moved to Riverton. And about week, a week and a half after I got home from my mission, he said, hey, I've got this girl I want to set you up with. And that girl happened to be Whitney Barker, Barker. And we went on this date. And I thought she was interested in my friend. And I thought my friend was interested in her. And I was like, why are you guys, like, why did you set me up with her? You guys should be dating. Why don't you guys just here? Yeah. Exactly. Because he did a double date. And anyways, so I was like, I don't want to step on your toes. So I kind of backed off a little bit. And about a month later, she reached out to me and she was like, hey, I got these tickets to the Tabernacle Choir Christmas concert. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. And we went, it was just the two of us. And we were just able to talk so easily and so naturally. And she served a mission as well. She served in the Texas Houston South mission. And I, I think return missionaries get this a lot where they're like, you know, are you going to date a return missionary? Like, is that a criteria for you? Yeah. And I hadn't had that as a criteria whether they whether she had served or whether she had not but once i dated her i realized that even if that didn't work out with her i would want that i would desire that in an eternal companion because you become so much better on a mission like there's so much of you and how you've developed and grown and become a better person that happens on your mission and she felt the same way and the way we could understand each other through that um, was it was mind blowing to me that that yeah. somebody could understand who I am so intimately because she had also been through that same experience. Yeah, sure. And I know that's not the you know that's not the case for everybody. Not you don't you don't have to marry a return missionary. But for me and Whitney, that's one of the things that really attracted us to each other. Yeah, was how much we could understand each other on that level. Sure, that makes so, sense. We got engaged on April 8th, 2023, and we got married on July 18th, 2023 at the Draper Temple. 
So we're coming up on about six months of marriage now, which is crazy. It flies. Oh, six whole months. Six whole months. <laughs> so she is doing, she's studying pre-nursing at Salt Lake Community College. And she works as an MA um, at a pediatrician's office. And she loves kids. So it's perfect for her. She gets to work with kids every day. I'm studying international relations at BYU. My plan is to go to law school. And I was working as a seminary teacher at Riverton High School. And that was an incredible experience this last semester. Those kids, our future is in good hands. Yes, um, I agree. The, some of these kids are just absolutely incredible. I learned more that semester than they probably did. Yeah. Which is probably the case with a lot of seminary teachers. It's a student teaching program. Sadly, they didn't have a lot of spots the next semester. Yeah. So I was not able to continue. So I'm not teaching that anymore. But I'm going in actually this afternoon. I got a job at the MTC. So that, awesome. that's my next thing. But I mean, there's, that's what's been helping me is just that's working with the church. And, and not everybody needs to do that. But for me, that's what's really helped me to stay close is working and teaching and training the future missionaries because yeah. I love mine so much. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, it was hard when I learned that I wasn't able to teach seminary anymore. Yes. And it was interesting because I was like, wow, you know, I could go from being a seminary teacher to leaving the church because I could feel that bitterness towards it. Yes. And I never kind of processed that before, like how you could have, go from two extremes so fast. Sure. But same thing. I, I, I said, okay, that was amazing. If I could do it all again in a minute, I would. And I needed to be there at the time I needed to be there. And now I'm needed somewhere else. Yep. And I, I'm such a huge advocate for life sucks. And life is not fair. And you're going to go through things that you think shouldn't happen. Whether it's an injury on a sports team or losing a job with the church or... A reassignment on your or mission. A reassignment on your mission or a companion that's super difficult or just, you know, life is not easy. It's, yep. it's not. And, and yet God has given us agency, one, so we can choose to get back to him, but also because that gives us such an advantage in this world where we can choose to change our attitudes and have a different outlook and do something different to make our circumstances better. And I've... If, if there's anything I've learned from all the experiences I've shared in this podcast, that's what it is, is, is when life throws you lemons and garbage and things that stink, then you can be happy about it. There's that scene from Harry Potter. I think it's the second or third one. I, can't, I think it's the third one. And he's reading the teacup and he looks up and he says, you're going to suffer, but, but you're you going to be happy about, about it. it. <laughs> love and that's God. what life is, right? <laughs> We're going to suffer. It's, it's, it's a guaranteed, but we have the choice to be happy about it and to be optimistic and to choose to see good and to find good and to be good. And I've found that I've, my testimony has grown. My spirituality has continued. My relationships are better. And just my overall outlook and experiences in life are the best because of my attitude, not because the circumstances are great. And yeah, I love it. Jeter, you are a wise old soul. And honestly, that advice and and sharing your life experience is is perfect. And I Harry Potter, that's like I'm I'm I told all my boys, I'm like, you will gain a testimony of Harry Potter before you leave this house. Like everyone has to have a testimony of Harry Potter. I know that sounds funny, but honestly, there are so many wonderful life lessons that J.K. Rowling teaches. And that is supposed to be a silly, funny line like Ron, like, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be happy about it. But truly, when you step back and think about it, it's true is we are going to suffer. No one escapes pain. No one escapes disappointment. No one escapes life turning out a different way, taking a detour, not working out. Everyone's going to go through it and multiple times in your life. It's just part of what this is all about. But you can still be happy. With and, and I, it, it's not always easy to have a good attitude. And I think it's okay to be mad and angry and grumpy sometimes too. But if you're like, how can I make this better? I find that Heavenly Father is so ready to jump in and say, ah, let me help you with that. 
let me help you make it better. And and if we're just even willing, like when Alma's like, if you even just have like a desire, even just like, I want to have faith. I want to be happy. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I have a desire to be. He jumps in. And he's like, okay, here's how you do it. I've got you and can really make you happy in the midst of the turmoil and the changes and everything that's going on around you. So Jeter, I am so grateful that you took the time to come on the podcast and share so many incredible life experiences. And I love I really you. appreciate you inviting me. I, this is awesome. So thank you so, so much. Fun. And I learned so much more about you. And I, I just am the, a huge fan of the Rogers family, have been, always will be. And I thank you for just reiterating how all of us have the ability to do so much good in every circumstance from whoever we are. It, you don't have to be someone famous. You don't have to be someone that's influential or have any kind of following. It's just we are all just supposed to be blessing the lives around us and doing good in the lives of those around us. So thank you for doing that, Jeter. Thank you, Carmen. I am Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy, truly, all in one little app. And you can use promo code doing good, all one word at checkout, and you get a full month free. So check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com. See you soon.